In this episode, we discuss ways to make your Star Trek Adventures campaign better. This is SDA Engage. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey. In the last episode, we talked about ways that you can make your character more exciting, more interesting, and really more dynamic. If you missed that episode, go back and check it out. Um, we will revisit this episode in future, th that topic in future episodes. So if you didn't get what you wanted from that one, hold on, we'll get to it. Today, we're going to talk about being a game master and some of the tips and tricks that you can use to be prepared and to get a few uh, of just a few of the multitude of ways that you can improve your ways of being a storyteller. Before we start, though, uh, I want to introduce my co-host from Continuing Mission, STA.com, the incomparable Mike Dismukey. I think I said <laughs> that, right? It's, you know what? To save time, let's keep it to two syllables, make it Dismuke. Uh, I, I do pay $1,000 to anyone who pronounces it right the first time, so sorry, you just missed it. All right. <laughs> I tried. I got, that, I got the name from Jim, and I don't know if he said it right either, so... <laughs> He's, he usually gets it right. Jim Johnson gets it right over Modiphius. Cool. Well, um, as you said, I'm with Continuing Mission STA. I'm one of the contributors there to what I consider to be the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures. Um, I love storytelling. Been running my own RPG campaigns for over 30 years, starting with Marvel old TSRs um, through nice. all of their different iterations, um, refusing to play anything else pretty much until all of a sudden in 2017, Star Trek Adventures came along. I said, let me take a peek. I've been addicted ever since, playing more of STA nowadays than Marvel. Um, and I'm, of course, writer of Game Masters comic books. You can find it on Comixology, uh, Amazon's comic book publishing site. Nice. Well, the goal of this show is to help fans of Star Trek and the role-playing community as a whole better engage with the Star Trek franchise uh, and the Star Trek Adventures RPG in general um, and the community at large. So this is a great way to have uh, to, to get things going. This show is brought to you by the letter D, the number seven of nine, and the support of people like you. So subscribe, share, like us, support us on Patreon. Uh, and uh, Patreon is up now. I think I have it written here eventually in my script, but whatever. Um, you can find out more uh, about the folks who sponsor the show and help us put this show together. Um, our production team, Studio Tembo, the folks over at Continuing Mission, STA.com, and our primary sponsor for season one, Adventure Inc. Just follow the links in the doobly-doo. Uh, I think without any further ado, we should get right into it and discuss. Uh, how to be a better GM. Uh, I mean, my number one rule is what I consider the golden rule, right? And that's to have fun and enjoy the game. What are your thoughts on that one? Totally agree. I mean, I think when we all have GM games where we forgot that and people end up slamming laptops and walking out and maybe never playing again, learned early on, nope, it's not about me. It's really about them. Um, and, and, you know, introducing some complications, but not bogging it down so much that, that, that they don't have fun. They want to walk away a winner. So I, I agree with you. It's, it's really taking our ego out of it and understanding that it's not me writing the game. It's everyone sharing and writing an amazing storyline together. Once you figure that out, it, it never stops from there, right? Right. One of the main factors of any kind of role playing is that it's a collaborative storytelling experience. And if you can't make that collaboration happen, um, you, you've really kind of defeated the entire purpose of getting together and role playing. It's the, the storytelling is the, the main factor here. It's a and, trust game too. I, I always say, because initially when you have new players, you got to let them win 75% of the time, 25, yeah. but as trust builds up over time, you can start skewing that and even have some pretty dark story arcs for a while, 75% losing, but you bet they better make sure to trust that at the end, they're going to come out being the heroes. 
one of my favorite phrases of all time is uh, John Wick, one of the creators of Legend of the Five Rings and Seventh Sea, one of the big names from the 90s in, in RPGs. Uh, he said that players want to win, but they want to they want to be beaten and they want to be thrashed and they want to be on the brink of losing. Uh, but at the end, as long as they pull it out, they they will have had a good time. So that's yeah, a huge they, factor. They want that Captain Kirk moment at the end where that last yeah. ounce of strength pushes them up and they get that final swing. And and that's where you have to sometimes forsake the mechanics for the purpose of the story. And it's a real balancing act as a game master. And I'm glad we're going to talk about that today, how people give them some ideas and hopefully people can start getting a read of the room when they're playing. It can be hard sometimes, right. even, especially if you're on Discord or, or a, a virtual platform, uh, how, to, right. how to feel out your characters, your player. Characters. Reading the room is difficult when you don't have a room to read. And I think reading the room is a very key part of being a great dungeon master. It's not necessarily be a good one, but it's really key to be a great dungeon master. It's all about being confident, which is one of the other bullet points we have. We can talk right now, right now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the more you write, the better you get, the more you play, the better you get. So instead right. of, I'm going to emphasize one more time, instead of giving them the tough problems the first time, go a little soft on them. We have a lot of people coming into um, Star Trek adventures now. I mean, it's been growing at a phenomenal rate. I've never seen this much buzz. I don't know what I was talking to Jim Johnson the other day from Modiphius. Like, there's a lot of buzz in the room about this game. And mm -hmm. so if you're introducing people, not only to the concept of maybe Star Trek for the first time, but to the concept of an RPG game, you really want to go light and make sure that they have fun initially. It builds up their confidence, which will build up your confidence to push them a little further in your next game. So, so don't pick Wrath of Khan as your very first module. You know, maybe Trouble with Tribbles might be better. Right. Yeah. The the building up your own confidence and building up your players' confidence is super important. Um, and one of the things about that in, in getting your confidence is you really don't need to know all of the rules when you first start. Neither do your players. As long as you have some basic understanding and and you have some tools that can help you move along, um, you can really uh, you can really help educate your players more on how the game runs and how your universe runs runs. And how you uh, expect them to react and and um, interact with the story that you're creating. So, so how do you do that? I got to ask Jeff. So, how do you say for people who've never seen the rules before? How do you get them started in scene one? Do you make them read the whole rules, or what do you do? Oh no, I I generally don't make them read rules at all. Like I will hand them a character sheet if they want, or I will help them walk through character building. Um, I use a twenty questions process where I I have players fill out a, a form that is even if it's just kind of talking through it and they don't actually fill out the form itself but it's questions like you know what's your backstory and and uh what kind of family do you have how do you react to these situations and then once they have a basic idea of the character they want to play you don't need any rules at all in the games i start um, i will walk you through them i will every time i give you a skill task that you're going to roll i'm going to tell you what you need to roll how you're going to roll it and i'm going to you know my my other players understand that you have to be patient with new players and it's all you know we're teaching we're all teaching the new the new guy right and I, I'm not just teaching them how to play the game, but I'm teaching them how to um, how to interact with the level of story that I'm expecting them to, to 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 engage with, and how to give that back. So it's I don't want them to know the rules uh, too much. I, I want them to have a good feel for a character, because to me that's far more important than any rule will ever be. So yeah, yeah, I think the the thing that turns people away too is if you're like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. So yeah. what I've what I've often had new players do is like, okay, in role playing, pick a superstar you like, pick an actor you like, mm. and though the character looks like this and has these skills, 
have them act like that and just roll with it and have fun. This is a, right. this is a, a interpretive, you know, kind of event. Then as they go through and I let them do stuff and they have challenges, I'm like, you know what? We should roll for that. Let me show you how to do that. Boom, boom, boom. It's yep. not focused on the roller, them knowing the mechanics. After one game, they get it, especially when they start learning, say, with Star Trek Adventures about momentum and threat. Soon they're like, okay, this is kind of an important mechanic to the game. I need to try. Right. If I want to get ahead, I actually have to take some risks. So, so to your point, the rules come second. It's really about them playing through a movie uh, in their right. mind or cartoon. And one of the nice things about Star Trek Adventures, I think, is that Star Trek Adventures really lends itself very, very heavily towards an episodic nature. Um, it does feel when you're playing the game like you're playing an episode of the original series or Next Generation or DS9 or whatever your favorite show is. If you can, you can capture that feeling very quickly. And I think if players have an understanding of how television works, which I mean, pretty much everyone knows how TV works, and your GM can do a couple of the tropes that go in normal TV, you can really get into star trek faster i think than most games you can get into it's really good that way well here's some advice too so so i've only had well now i've had more than one experience with this but i recently with star trek adventures had a friend who never had seen star trek in his life okay this is a millennial he <laughs> happened to stay at my house uh last uh november and i said let's start watching the original episodes because he was like mike i don't see what you see in this he we were food i fed him yeah alcohol so he relaxed he went through and watched half of the original series and now he actually finished voyager so he went through everything in order he's starting enterprise he played sta once and he understood the concept now that's right. a big leap most people won't do that what i suggest though if people just need to understand the universe and they need something more entertaining they could watch lower decks now they could watch mm -hmm. uh galaxy quest they could watch orville and that's actually enough background about sci-fi where it's like it's kind of like that those are the kind of things you could do now you're on this ship, play with us. And so that's an right. idea. If people need a little background for people who are virgins to Star Trek, you could use those other shows maybe to get them involved. Right. And one one key factor when you're running a game like this is to help make sure that your power your players are empowered to be able to be the characters they want to be. Um, you want to make sure that they can achieve some progress as the character they're playing so they can become more a part of the world and have the world recognize these characters for the things they're doing. Right. It's very important that if you're especially for new characters you're bringing into the game, if the world interacts with them in a way that makes them feel important, then they're going to be more engaged and more apt to understand what's going on around them, and they're going to be way more you know apt to go out and do some research and watch Galaxy Quest or pick up you know DS9 and watch the first seven seasons in a single day or whatever you want to do. Hey, it's the world of binge watching. Getting back to how to build a story, I know today just this morning. Um, on Facebook, there was a lot of chatter about how to build stories and even how to take mm -hmm. a concept idea like the new mission briefs that are included yeah. in the, the new Star Trek Klingon core rulebook. We're going to see more mission briefs coming out. We have some fan-made ones on continuing mission STA. There was some question about really how to build a story. And um, I've had the privilege of taking some storytelling classes and I also facilitate storytelling. And I tell people, picture it like this if you're a game master. Here's the characters, here's the goal. So a big target, you can picture that. Now they just have to get to that goal. All you need is three brick walls and that's mm -hmm. going to frustrate them getting to that goal. And those right. three brick walls could be something like, you know, they're supposed to go perform a rescue mission, but brick wall number one, the shuttle is malfunctioning for some reason. 
Number two, the atmosphere is not welcoming their shuttle as they try to land and perform the rescue mission. And three, when they get there, the people decide they don't want to be rescued. They want to die. Those three problems alone create the whole game. And it's not dependent on the characters or the game master railroading the people to do stuff. Those are just three existing problems. They exist no matter what. And the players doing that alone, they have a story and you're going to see some really amazing moments. Don't you agree? I agree. And when you're writing a story, and this is something we'll get into in later episodes, of course, but you want to have your central conflict in this case. You're talking about going to this planet, rescuing people off of the planet, and that's your central conflict. That's the thing you need to try to accomplish. And you have your minor conflicts. You can have interpersonal conflicts with characters. You can have the conflict with the shuttle trying to get to the atmosphere. Um, You can have the additional conflict of the players trying to convince the the people to leave. And that's your three brick walls thing. I've always called them conflicts, but I mean, whatever works. Um, just remember that you can also take and ad- introduce additional conflicts into that. Like you can have the Vulcan and the doctor don't like each other very much. So they're, you know, uh, while on this trip, they're having arguments over what they can do to save people or or what the priority of saving people would be. Okay. And here's how I do that with um, the threat when we're playing Star Trek Adventures is you can't force people to fight. We're, our goal is not to make the Vulcan doctor and the Betazoid uh, counselor get into an argument. But right. what... I will do, for instance, is bring up an ideological difference as a threat. So so maybe add a complication that the Vulcan wrote a thesis on why this methodology of counseling is better than this methodology. And and the complication is he's dogmatic about his thesis. Right now, when he tries to break from that, now you have to roll to see if your character has the willpower command versus control to break from that. And that can become a story unto itself. Um, a, a player told a story about crawdads during the game. And so since they were in the ocean, I added threat and had alien crawdads attack them just for humors. It's like, you just talked about crawdads. So the, as a storyteller, don't worry about the players. They have the goal. Just keep throwing those brick walls in the way. Soft, some hard, some strong, and you're going right. to find a really rich game. Right. And the more you learn your players and the more you learn your own narrative voice, the more you can do to manipulate this, the the conflicts that they're going to be engaged in to get more of the reactions that you want to get from players. I think it's really easy to do, actually. It's one of the things I, I really thrive on when I do my storytelling is I, I put characters in a situation that I know what I think their reaction is going to be. And I want to see the way they react and the way the other people react to them. And I like being surprised when they don't react the way I want them to or the way I expected them to, I should say. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. I just yeah, want to say, I think another mechanic in, in the game Star Trek Adventures, which is good as the NPC, we know that oftentimes watching the TV show, you may have Riker and Geordi in a conversation, but sometimes it's that NPC with a dissenting view. I think about the, the Lower Decks episode of Voyager, on the you know where she had to go train the ensigns and these cadets that she had ignored for like four or five years, Janeway, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden right. she has these NPCs who are grumbling and not... the optimal Starfleet officer. So I really bring in NPCs as much as possible into the room to ask the tough questions or to create the dissension in the conversation also, especially if they're all too agreeable. That's how we as game masters can influence a little fire in the game. Right. And it's, it's good to help control some of that, some of that control. You know, one thing you want to make sure you're not doing as a GM is having too much control over the scene, Um, but you want to be able to interject your voice every now and then when players go off the rails a little more than you would hope and start getting into things where they're using their, you know, empathic abilities to torture people, which have had happen in games that I've been running. And 
it doesn't end well. There's court martials next session and it just doesn't work out for everybody, you know? So. Yeah. And I think you actually make a good point when you're play I have a, I'm blessed with great players. I have some writers of, of Star Trek modules who play with me, so they get the mechanics, but, but once, once they're having the conflict, I literally can just sit back and let them role play. I don't have to do mm -hmm. anything. I'm, I play on discord virtual environment. So I'm just watching the dialogue sometimes laughing, like I'm watching a TV show. And then when it's time for a cut scene, I declare it or throw a new problem in there. And that's really the sweet spot going back to what you just said at the, as the golden rule is, mm -hmm. are they having fun? Can we watch them and have fun, you know, doing that? Then, then that made my night. One of the things I enjoy the most about gaming sometimes is I'll be running a, a scene and what, what you say happens, the, the players will start rolling, you know, rolling on their own and they don't need anything. They don't need me for anything. They will role play um, these very intricate scenes for the, by themselves and as the scene starts to feel like it might be winding down just a little bit, it's when you can throw in a new complication. Um, you can have the red alert go off or whatever it is you want to do. And you can really, you can actually begin to be very good at narrating um, on the fly by just being able to feel out the room and having the confidence to be able to do that. Yeah, it's an improv exercise. I mean, it's, yep. it's really an exercise in improv. Once your characters get it, they, they free themselves. And, you know, not to, I'm not an emotional person but there's been touching moments where i'm like sure. wow that was so cool to see that happen and i'm leaving that alone that's your cut some of my some of my favorite moments in both in star trek and in regular ga other games that i've played like Legend of the five rings which is one of my favorites um one of my favorite moments is is getting players to cry and not cry like mad they're 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 frustrated that something's going their way but if an npc dies but it's an NPC they were super attached to, or um, the the scene is so emotional that it drives them to have an actual emotional moment. Uh, that's one of the greatest things I think you can ever get as a storyteller. It is. It's it is direction at that point. Um, again, I, I've in my early days of RPG as a game master, I was so desirous to highlight the villain mm -hmm. that I forgot that that's not what the show's about. It was about the heroes in the end. You know, I, right. I wanted the villain to do this or do this line and and I would push it too hard. And then the players felt felt that that it wasn't about them. Um, so to your point, if the the characters are who make the game and make the story and really set the tone for it, too, you don't throw characters into a pathos game if they really just want to be the shining stars of Starfleet. Right. So in another system that I played uh, and something that I use for all of my games, again, this is a John Wick thing. Uh, there's a, a, the other hundred points. So in, in those, in those games you used hundred points to create your characters, but you had another hundred points that was to lay out your character, uh, to lay out the story expectations, right? It's part of talking to your players and in making them understand what game you're going to run and getting their feedback on what kind of game they want to play. So they can put hundred points into like, I want to do espionage games or I want to do action games or I want to do intrigue or romance or whatever it is. And whoever, however the points break down, that's the kind of game you want to focus on. So making sure that's again, empowering your players to, to, to be able to have a part in the collaboration. And uh, it also is a good way to help understand what your players are doing and, and, and really just to have that moment where you can look at everything there and say, okay, my players want to do an action game. I really had this thought out to be this, you know, Call of Cthulhu mystery, whatever else. I might want to rethink what I'm running or this group might not be for me right now. 
Hey, I got to give that to you. Let's let's talk about those side conversations that I think it's important to have with each player separately is mm -hmm. what goal does your character have that maybe the others aren't aware of? Or where would you like the story to go? And we won't give any spoilers to everybody else. By doing right. that with your play, I play um, our Star Trek game in seasons. And since I have seven very active players, I only highlight two or three of them a season. I ask them mm -hmm. that question and everybody's respectful of that. They know when it's their season. They know when it's their story arc. And so they play along, they support it, they have their contrasting views. And so I think about that understanding your players, what they want out of the game is really key because they're going to want different things. So sometimes there may have to be a couple scary episodes because you have a couple players who want that, but then you have to have a couple diplomatic issues with, which may bore the mind out of your action players, but by everyone right. knowing that they're going to get a share and having that first openly that this is how I run the game. And then you'll all get your starring moments. You can't be spotlighted every episode. Then, mm -hmm. then people are pretty patient with each other. Yeah, no, I am. I'm hundred percent with that. I, I don't do it by season. I do do seasons, uh, but I do main story arcs seasons and I do episodes inside the seasons that the players can interact with. And then as the overall arc, it's whoever takes the lead on them and, Fortunately enough, uh, I'm on my seventh season of my current game, and I think uh, we've had a really good back and forth. And some of the characters have swapped out. Uh, had a character die. I had one character stay in the mirror universe. And it's it's been really interesting to see the dynamics change. And I'm getting ready to have another another fairly significant dynamics change coming up for the start of season eight. So looking forward to that. Um, I how, what's your ideal game size or group size for? Let's just say this game, obviously. Um, I personally like to keep my games between four to six players, but I really feel Star Trek, you need a minimum of five and the game runs almost best at seven. Yeah. So what I'll say is around the table, four is about my limit around a table because otherwise people get ignored. It's too quiet. Um, it, on Discord, I'm with you seven. Um, of course, it's hard to manage people's schedule. People from for playing Star Trek Adventures, literally I have had players from Germany, UK, Scotland, Canada, all over the United States. So what I have learned is I've chosen to generally have everybody except one player in the, in the uh, United States for time reasons. Mm -hmm. um, but I will go to six to seven characters. Some people may play two characters. Sure. And on Discord, that's totally manageable because if you're familiar with the technology, I could break people into different rooms. So one person could be away team, not knowing what everyone else is doing on the ship. So, so sure. honestly, if I had the time, I probably could easily run 12 players at once. <laughs> I just don't have the time for that in the discord. So I find uh, what you said, four to seven, totally comfortable. So I think we disagree on one, on one key point here. And I think it's a, a good point to talk about. I don't believe that players should ever get up from the table. I don't think that you should ever step away from the story. I think that even if you're not in a scene, you should be watching a scene so you can have that emotional connection still too. So I, I'm all for splitting the party. Like I, I have never been a don't split the party person unless I'm the player and I don't want to split the party because I'm usually the mage and don't want to die. <laughs> but uh, in, in the aspect of, of especially Star Trek, I think that uh, since the majority of your conflicts are going to be uh, scientific or, or diplomatic or, not actual phasering conflicts, though those do happen. But uh, splitting your party, I think, is is good and actually a really good way to help build tension because you can jump between scenes. But I don't. I personally don't like leaving the table. I want everyone, uh, everyone that's on the away team mission, to see what everyone on the ship is doing, and everyone on the ship to see what everyone on the away team is doing. And I, if I can use 
the the scene cuts back and forth to help build dramatic tension. I really liked being able to do that. I don't know what you're, I, you seem to not have that particular. I uh, do that sometimes. Most of the, most of the time when I'm doing cutscenes, everyone's in the forum looking, that is true. But then there's some modules that lend to separating. Um, one of my favorite modules that we played was, oh, and the name's, it's not Nest in the Dark. That was a good one. But they were having they were they were having memories of their past and they were on a planet when the Ferengis were messing with the orb. And by separating everyone into their own forums and disjointing them from reality, when they all came together, that role-playing moment of what's real and what's not, that was something I would never have been able to do around the table. Sure, but sure. in on an online forum when they were broken off and couldn't see what each other were doing, that was phenomenal. And they and they all voted as the best game they ever played. So nice. that's where I'm leaning is just from experience. There are times where I don't want people to know what the others are doing because it's part of my game mechanic. Sure. I will say that sometimes when you're doing specific types of episodes and you're trying to go for an exact feel, having that production change, that shift in the way you do things. Um, I like to think of the way I run games as a production, right? So I, I try to incorporate music and I try to incorporate lighting effects if they're if we're in person that kind of stuff just to help make it a little more interesting and when we're doing it online i use fantasy grounds so i use a lot of imagery on fantasy grounds i pretty much only use it for images but um i think one of the best things about that is is you can shift as you said your your production to if i need to split the party i will move someone over on discord over here or something like that i haven't done that yet for star trek but i have done that for other games and i can see where your point is on that one i didn't ask what are you playing on generally when you play virtually Virtually, I'm using Discord for voice and Fantasy Grounds for um, for tabletop. Uh, mostly just because I have I bought Fantasy Grounds years ago when a friend of mine joined the Air Force, so that we could play online. And it's just the platform that I'm into. Um, I do play a Monday night game where I'm a player that we use Roll Twenty. So okay, okay, good, yeah. And Roll Twenty, you can do breakout rooms too, right? If you needed to, in a sense. Well, I think we're still, I mean, we're using Discord for voice pretty much all the time. It's the only real voice platform. The nice thing about having the STA, uh, the, the Star Trek Command um, server for Discord is that I actually have a bunch of different ships that are in there that are hidden rooms that no one else can see that I run ships on. And we had a couple other groups that were running games in there for a little while, but they don't anymore. Um, and that is open to people if they want to do that. I think it's it's a great way to to have a place that you can go to and to find players. You can go right there and find players if you don't have any, so. Nice. One of, one of the other things that hooks my players um, to, again, making it a game about them and why they voted me the ultimate game master in the universe uh, 30 years in the running is because I literally do write up every single story into mm -hmm. mini novella format. I've been doing this since I was age 15. <laughs> and yeah. I do the same thing for Star Trek. People can actually go read our adventures. And even though... Um, you know, we're a fan of seven people reading it generally because it's about us. They love going back and seeing how they're portrayed and seeing the growth of their characters. Sure. Sometimes they'll go back and read something from, you know, 26 episodes ago and be like, wow, I can't believe I thought like that before. What do you think about that? How do you help your players afterwards keep the juice for what they did? Well, there's two ways. Well, three really. So I, I do that to some extent also. I've done it more in the past than I do now because time constraints are there. I take extensive notes, though, and I, I've written a few comic books that are um, waiting to be inked at some point that uh, are our vampire game or our uh, Star Wars games, stuff like that. I haven't done it for Star Trek, but what I normally do is the start of the start of every session, I do a, I make the players do a recap, right? And it's not me telling the players what happened last session. It's them telling me what happened last session, what they saw 
And then when one person has done the recap, I ask everybody else, do you want to add anything to that? Do you, do you see something differently than that? Um, at the end of every session, I do wrap up questions. Um, I have a, a series of five or eight questions that I ask every session, every player. And I vary up which ones I'm asking because I don't necessarily ask them all every time. But it's like, what moment stands out most to you this evening? And what, who best embodied their character? Things like that. Good idea, bad idea, as in like, uh, that's the, I got that from uh, Animaniacs years ago. <laughs> you you got to post those questions. on uh, get, get it to me so we can put it up on Continuing Mission. I think people would love yep. I, I, that goes in line with what they did with the Klingon rulebook release is they have mission logs now instead mm-hmm. of just dishing out points, people get awarded for writing mission logs. So we brought that into our game. We actually now, anytime they want to, they have an area where they can write mission logs and I award them based off of that. Yeah. So every game that I, for the years now I've been running and I started this with a and d game years ago, if you write a journal, a character journal, it's in character or in this case, a log, um, you get points. Um, and it's your your experience points are now tied to the idea that you are engaging with the game between sessions. And it's less engaged with, I was here for four hours, I get X number of points, or I reached this thing and did this, you know, whatever. Or I killed the monster and got it. It's like, okay, you do all those things. I'm going to give you some reward for that. But you can get even more reward if you fill out a, you know, if you tell us in your own character's words how you felt about those things and how you, you know, what you what you're looking forward to, what your motivations are going forward. In fact, that's one of the questions that I ask is what's your motivation for the session and how do those motivations change over the course of the session? So I think it's really a good way to do that. Yeah, you're going to have to give me those questions. That deserves its own article. We'll have to post that as a snippet to this on on, on our blog. Right. I was going to cover... I was going to cover post-game stuff in one of the upcoming episodes, so we'll get into that too, and I'll, I'll make sure that we get it to, to uh, continue mission also. Okay. Um, one thing that I can't stress enough as a game master and as a player is you must take notes. Um, even if you don't do a ton of session prep, if you take notes during your game while you're running it, that gives you things you can look at before the next session and be like, oh, hey, this thing happened. I want to ring, I want to bring that back and use it again. And it's very, I think it's one of the key parts of being a great game master is being able to build off of your previous stories and keep the ball rolling so you can build this giant epic and call back to something that happened in season one while you're in season 10. I think that's a great way to do things. And, and I've got some of that coming up, which my players are going to be really excited to see. You just reminded me of the module I was talking about that's perfect for breaking people into Discord rooms. Call back yesterday. Amazing module. <laughs> if you haven't played it, pick it up. That was voted the best by my players out of 30 episodes they've played. So. Nice. Um, I want to talk real quick bef- yeah. before we get too far into this. I want to talk real quick about conflict. Um, I want to talk about rolling dice because I know that's a, a thing that player game masters are always a little concerned about. And one thing I want to make sure that we that you understand that the players understand is that failure is not the end of any part of your storytelling, right? The players can fail at anything and it just means that you can add more to the story. Don't ever let a failure be the end of your story. Yeah, I, I think one of the mechanics, again, I have to say, I was not eager to pick up a new RPG, you know, I tried others, was not impressed. But STA, when they had to succeed at cost, that if you fail, mm-hmm. maybe you could still succeed, but it's going to have a complication in it. I was like, oh, that solves so many issues I've had over the yep. years. Honestly, any experienced player of RPGs will tell you it's the failures that are memorable and overcoming those failures. It's not the games that were easy peasy, knocked out the villain in the first hit. It's the right. ones that you struggled for till the end of the game that makes you feel like a hero. So, so if you're a sore loser, get over it quick. Believe me, it's going to be great. 
personal therapy to fail in a game. It'll help you prepare for failing in real life too. <laughs> It'll yes. make you a hero in real life. One of the best things about role-playing games is how they can prepare you for reality. Um, the fantasy of it can really educate you. Um, and that's something that GMs need to be aware of also is that you need to know what message you're giving your players and how you're educating them going forward. Because so I really you're... You a question. I got to ask you a question based on yeah. that. Sure. I've had friends who I literally have played with for 20 to 30 years, the game, and they don't know why I know them so, so well. It's not because of in real life what they've done. It's because of how right. they act in a game. I know what their visceral reaction is to stuff. Do you ever have that happen? You know them psychologically? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's one of the best parts about it, too, because you get to see the raw... So one of the things they tell you is I, I worked as a firefighter for many years. And one of the things they tell you is you never know how you're going to react in a situation until you're in that situation. And that's true. And it's true for fantasy. If you're role playing that you're going to be in a situation where you have a chance to, to save the girl or to, to slice off the head of the hero next to her, um, your reaction in that moment is the way you're going to probably react in real life. And it's, you can pretend like it's fantasy and that you're really not doing these things. But when we catch you, when a GM really catches you in that moment, you're going to do the reaction that you're going to do, not that your character would do. And I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Characters for are just that. players from 11. <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying that. Because I want to say RPG works like this. You have the player, the real human you're dealing with. You have their yeah. character. And the longer you play with them, they actually meld. Over yes. time, you know who they are. Like I can, I in one of my comic books, I actually write one of my best friends for 30 years into the comic book and he writes himself. I don't write it. And he's the funniest character in the comic book. And people will think he's, and I'm like, I, I didn't create this character. This is an existing being. Um, right. And that's where it gets with, with the players. If you're really letting them develop their characters. It, it's something I learned from LARPing. I've LARPed for a very long time also. And uh, as I grew, so when I first started LARPing, I was a fairly, um, Explain that for people who don't know. In a oh, LARPing, live action role playing. It's being a nerd in the woods. Um, as opposed to being a nerd in the, around the table. Uh, I started out, I, I was a fairly, I, mean, was in, I was in high school, or just out of high school. And I was a fairly um, shy individual. But as I played this character who is, for all intents and purposes, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Um, or Varys from Game of Thrones, really. I was just, I'm not, not, not a good guy is what I'm saying. But over the years of playing that character... It, I never saw it, so I don't know. Oh, I'm a bad guy. <laughs> I'm a bad guy for the right reasons, though. So, But I've played the character for years and years and years, and as I, did, as I played this character, more of his personality became my personality, and I became more, um, I guess, fleshed out as a person by playing these characters. Not just that character, but also by game, you know, by, by being a storyteller and telling games, uh, role-playing games, and, and being a player in those games. Although I rarely play, I mostly ever GM. Yeah, yeah, I know. Me too. No, I agree with that. So that, I think that's the thing too, is if we're doing some of the best practices is really putting the players first, asking yes. them what they want to get out of the game, creating conflict and at the right times and knowing, getting the feel for when to throw conflict in, they're going to develop these characters they fall in love with, which, which right. is what I really love is when years later, they're still talking about these characters. And one of the keys that I think is being able to, when you make them make roles, make that role count for something. It can't just be a role for no reason, right? If, if you're going to make them get information, make them roll for it, but make that, give them the information they need to, to re, as a reward for that. And anytime you make a role, um, that role has to be meaningful to the character in some way. Either it's gaining information to make them able to help solve the problem, or it's 
literally to save or, or, or save their lives or, or die, you know? Yeah. Give me an example. Like, like I, I always try to think of what's the smallest thing I could have someone roll for that would matter, you know? So right. we, we know that there's always, okay. Yeah. Whether you're flying the ship correctly, whether your phaser strikes, but we're doing stuff, for instance, like how fast are you swimming? Are you swimming fast enough to get into the cave before the creature sure. gets to you? Things like that, right? What are some examples? Right. So for Star Trek, it's anything from, you know, the moment that if I don't pull the, if I don't phaser this guy right, I'm going to be, you know, where my, my whole crew is going to be in trouble or, you know, turning the, turning the ship sideways to get out of the Dyson sphere like they did in Next Gen. Those are obviously the, the rules you have to make, right? Those are those are important um, because those are the, the key tension moments that you want to resolve. But you can also have things like um, your scientist is researching uh, this alien species and the way it interacts with this thing that, that it's got acidic blood or something. Um, just having that role to have them find the information can mean life or death because you can take something away from a player if they fail a role or if they don't succeed as you know in the role properly or not properly is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. But you're not taking away like vital life essence or anything. You're not killing the player. You're just taking away their time so that they don't get to be able to make the decision as early or they don't have the information that they need going into the next scene. Good. So with, with that said, so let's talk about again, we, you know, in order to be a good game master, it's about having them roll on things that make sense. I study yeah. their yeah. focuses and talents and values before building the game. So that say, for instance, we go back to one of those brick walls I mentioned before, that's a problem. That's only mm-hmm. somebody with that with metaphysics or biology or art or right. phonology can actually solve. And so this right. is their character feel important where, first of all, in order to even know, solve this and roll on this, you'd have to have some sort of background in linguistics. And then the people raise their hand like, oh, I do. And now they they, they go back to feeling important and that right. role means so much to them, right? Right. And in that, if they fail their role or they don't get the number of excesses they need or they want to, however it works out, if they don't succeed right away, they, they can still, it, it can affect the story by them not having all the necessary tools they needed in their toolbox when they get to the next scene. They may have still succeeded, but maybe they didn't succeed with quite the translation they wanted, or they got the translation totally wrong. Well, I think they, that's another complication you can add. There you go. And if if they do actually fell on a single roll, I'll oftentimes turn that into a linear challenge yeah, or some complications they have to fix before they get to the answer. Um, also, there's always alternatives in Star Trek. So something that should have been a medical solution could actually end up being a scientific solution. So right. other characters may find a workaround and again, it's okay if they fail, you know, sometimes and come up sure. with creative ways to solve problems. There's no no's in my game. If they say, if they think we want to do this, this, and this, you know what? I set the difficulty level and we see if they're miracle workers. And more than often, they really are miracle workers. And I celebrate with right. them. One thing, one thing about Star Trek is that it's, it is less likely to have drastic failures in the game with momentum and being able to succeed on at a cost. Um, it, it is more of a, I succeeded, but, uh, mm-hmm. and that's a mentality that I am not accustomed to. I, I, I have never been one of the players that's a yes, but I'm more of a, a no or, um, kind of, kind of GM or at least I used to be, um, but for Star Trek, you really have to be more of a yes, but, or a yes. And kind of mm-hmm. GM would, which is something that if you, we can talk about in another episode where uh, more about improv and that's one of the, the key things in improv that happens a lot. So, well, yeah, it could be yes. And you rolled three complications, which are, <laughs> so and that's, exactly. that's kind of fun, you know? So, 
against this game has has uh, blown my mind with how game master friendly it is and of course more importantly yeah. player friendly and how just storyteller in general friendly it is and i think that's the last real tip that i have is speak like a storyteller talk like an author when you're helping describe these scenes and trying to help players get to that that moment of of conflict and get through that moment of conflict i think being a storyteller is essential let's give some advice about how to do that in fact i think that's the hardest thing people feel it for my friend who was playing for the first time, I told you, he was like, I can't believe I'm in this room of geeks right now online about <laughs> to do this. Now, I'm, I am I tell people, I'm not a geek. I don't think I am. I think I'm actually an average fan who likes Star Trek and I love sure. gaming. So, so I don't know every detail about everything. But what got him into it was I tell the story slowly. What I mean by that is I'm not rushing the story. The power of the human voice is that actually the slower you speak, the more engaged people can be if you right. know when to pause correctly. And so in a game, it's like you've entered the bridge. Red alert is sounding. Smoke fills the air. So as your mind eye tells that story and you take your time to grasp it, the players are actually on the end of their chair. And of course, if you're playing on Discord or uh, through email, you have all day long to construct your sentences and tell the story. Right. There's a phrase in film that's called the mise-en-scene, right? And it's the idea of what is in the scene that makes the scene important. And by that, it's like, if you're going to show, uh, anti, was it, um, oh, I can't remember his name right now, but the, the theory of showing a gun in the first act and it must be fired by the third act. If the gun is in the scene at all, the gun must be important, right? If the red alert is in the scene, the red alert is, port- is important. If you're describing a character being in a scene that the players need to understand that character may not necessarily be important, but is an option for the players to deal with. And one of the things I like about Star Trek and that I think a lot of games don't do this. Um, I'm not sure Star Trek really does it either, but players need to be able to feel free to add things to a scene that may not have been part of the game masters or the storytellers mise-en-scene, right? So the player can ask, well, okay, is there an ensign on the bridge or are there any rocks nearby that I can grab? That kind of thing. And that's a way to help tell the story. And the game master should, whenever reasonable, go with it. Almost always. Exactly. If you're on the bridge and with no weapons, but all of a sudden Klingons teleport in, of course there's a phaser underneath your console. You know? right. or, or an instant who you, have to, you need somebody to get support from or you want to engage in the conversation because you know their viewpoint. Yeah, that's a really good point. I can't tell you how often new players, then they will, they'll stand around like, well, what do I do? It's like, well, I described the room. So do whatever you want. This this isn't playing uh, a video game where you can't pick up that trash can lid that you see there. You can pick up that trash can lid. And once they learn they have that kind of power, oof. Right. The real power is being able to invent the trash can that you can then use the lid on. And that's something that I think that that good game masters can help players grow that experience, like be able to, to learn how to do those things and to be part a little bit more collaborative with the actual scene description and storytelling aspects of things. Um, it's, it's not something my players do very often, but it's something that as we have grown throughout the generations of gaming from gaming in the early, you know, late eighties, early nineties, all the way through to now and, and seeing the different iterations of games, more and more games add that element into them. And it's something that you can incorporate into your own game. Yeah, here's a piece of advice for game masters. When you are introducing new players to the game, invite one old player who's really experienced because once mm-hmm. they see someone doing it and how much power that 
skilled player has are going to be like, whoa, I can do what I can do that. And I've seen right. people wake up and go for it. So it's much easier to introduce three new players with one experienced players than just three new players so, yeah. uh, as a game master. And that goes back to the earlier things of talking about player, uh, player empowerment and being confident and not being too controlling, but you still do have to maintain some control over that kind of, that kind of situation because it can get out of hand pretty quickly. Yeah, you need to pick the right skilled player. In this forum, I know a lot of people are online right now asking about, I want to play the game. I don't have a group. So maybe encourage if you have a group that wants to start, you'll be surprised by hitting us up on the Facebook page, how many people might step in for one of your campaigns, maybe an experienced game master willing to be Mm -hmm. a player. I've done that before just to wake up their group and just plant that seed and then exit stage left. Right. Yep. And that's a good way to do things too. I actually did that for my current Star Trek game. Uh, The player ended up uh, rotating out from being captain into playing a new character and is still staying with them. But um, yeah, we definitely started out that way. So it's a good, it's definitely a good mentality to get into to to make sure that you use the experience of others to be able to, to, to make your game and your players better. Yeah. You're way more experienced than me. So I'll ask you this question as we're getting close to wrap up is, where do, where do people go for resources to learn how to be a good game master? Where, where would you tap into? Uh, there's a lot of places you can go. Um, there's a lot of resources for any game in general, but for Star Trek Adventures, I think continuingmissionsta.com is one of the better sites um, for being able to get resources. <clears throat> I think, um, uh, our, again, our Discord is pretty good for that. The Facebook groups are very good for that. Um, and there are a lot of places out there. You can do simple Google searches and you'll find anything. Um, there's some really great videos by Matt Mercer, the guy who does Critical Role. Um, he does some how to be a good game master stuff. And uh, Matt Mercer is often cited as one of the best game masters out there. Um, I think he's great. I don't know how much of that is him having a writing team or professional actors, but whatever. I like it. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of places you can go to get the resources. And we'll put some links uh, down in the doobly-doo for this episode and, and future episodes. So it's, it's, this is not a one-time topic. This is something we're going to revisit over and over because it is the thing I think that most players feel the least comfortable about. So Yeah. And I want and I want to invite people to ask the questions like you mentioned Facebook or on Continuing Mission. Yeah. Because I've never honestly met a game that's so welcoming to fans where it doesn't just celebrate the yeah. writers and creators. But fans get some serious love with Star Trek Adventures. And so um, don't be embarrassed to ask the questions. Geek out with us on your Friday nights when we're staying sheltering in place. Believe me, you start playing, you're not going to be too bored at home. No. And if you have any questions you want, you know, me or Mike to to answer for you, like feel free to send them our way and I will answer them. We will answer them. Um, One of the nice things about this show, is one of the things we want to do with this show anyways, is try to really engage with players and help you uh, address the situations that you have uh, in particular. So I think the main takeaway from this show is really that there's a, about a thousand different ways to be a good GM. Um, and these are just a few of the tips and tricks and ideas that you can use. Um, stories are the core of humans. Um, it's a core need for us. And uh, while we mythologize the storyteller a lot, um, anyone can be a compelling, engaging, and entertaining storyteller. Um, all you really need to do is have a little bit of faith in yourself and I think you can do it. Um, and on that note, uh, I think we're going to wrap things up. Um, next time on STA Engage, we are going to talk about setting up. Uh, uh, we're going to we're going to talk about uh, values for your characters and how to make better values uh, and make more meaningful values for your characters. Um, so stay tuned next time for the Measure of a Man or Value World. Um, until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, share. Do all the things. I'm your host, Dr. RPG, Jeff Harvey. On behalf of myself and Michael, say goodbye, Mike.
Take care. All right. Uh, and everybody that works here behind the scenes, uh, live long and prosper. Thank you.